Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. at all this yeah yeah this is this is an incredible collection that you've put together uh today joe oh thanks so much yeah it's definitely it's it's inspired a little bit from the way that they hang all the instruments in guitar center specifically the guitar room if you've ever been in there Mm. uh where yes yes i mean i've never been in a uh museum before where you know (laughs) i felt like you know someone was going to you know come up and ask me is like finding everything okay Uh, you yeah. want to try that out? <laughs> oh, we got gosh. a great financing plan. Right, yeah. It's uh, two for one on strings also. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except you can't actually try any of these out. Only some of them that are available because, you know, some of these instruments are thousands of years right. old. So yes, that might yes, not be Yes, but great. inevitably someone will mm. pick one up and start playing Freebird on it. They would try. that. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see someone picking up a lute from, like, you know, the 10th century yeah. and trying to jam out to, to Freebird or... You know. Right, right. I I think I just mean it more in the the aesthetic of a Sam Ash or a Guitar Center. Mm. You know, it yes, it is a a historic instrument right exhibition, but you just have that feeling mm. that at any moment you will hear the opening notes to Stairway, <laughs> and then the mess up and the fret buzzing on all the time. Yeah. Do you think back then? You know, back way back when in the days of old when you had to go get an instrument because you wanted to try out, you know, lute or you wanted mm-hmm. to try playing the flute or a drum or something. Do you think mm-hmm. you went to like the Sam Ash of the time? Do you think that existed or like the guitar center mm-hmm. of that area? Huh. Yeah. You went to your uh, local uh, lute, lute center uh, <laughs> or your <laughs> lutes and flutes. <laughs> yeah. Your, your Samuel Cole Ash. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and you went you went down and uh you know there was a uh sign on the wall that says no playing green sleeves right, right. <laughs> yeah i i was once in a guitar shop in portland this was uh when i you know i was there i was a teenager my family was waiting on line i think they were waiting in line for voodoo donuts because we were in portland it was the uh you know it was the 2010s that was what you did you went to portland and you're like how funky keep this place weird you know (laughs) that when portlandia like started i think that was (laughs) that might have been the the early days of portlandia okay okay and i'm in this guitar shop and it's like a local place i'm looking around you know just having a time by myself this is like one of the first times i've been like let loose in a a city and i can wander around by myself and I remember this one guy who was just sitting there strumming the guitar and like, and you know, he's like a young guy, you know, clean cut, whatever, but you know, just a little, like a little, uh, out there, but you know, 
just just looked like a guy. Mm-hmm. The owner of the guitar shop comes up to him, says, "All right, dude, that's enough." Takes the guitar out of his hands, and he still is like doing the motions of playing the guitar and singing. Huh. The owner like just basically grabs the guy and throws him out the door, and you know. And this guy, you know, clearly like old hippie, long gray hair, kind of schlubby looking guy turns around to me. And remember, I'm, you know, a a teenager and insanely sheltered. And he's like, he's like, drugs are so bad, kid. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, that's heroin guy. I got to throw him out of here about once a week. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. That just really solidified Portland for me though, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess that'll mm-hmm. do it. That's definitely one way to leave. Mm-hmm. Um It was also the first it was the first time I had seen a couple of uh, like so, instruments that I know now are like actually pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> <But> yeah. Like <laughs> being being in that shop, you know, aside from heroin guy, I right. feel like I saw a lot of iconic uh things. Mm-hmm. So it was the uh, the first time I'd seen a uh, Fender Esquire. Oh. Uh or like one of those um an eight string bass, but it's not an eight string bass in yeah. that the 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 strings are all different notes. It's kind of like an eight string bass in the way that a twelve string guitar doubles oh, up the notes. That's cool. One of those things. That's cool. A lot of kind of random instruments that I, I didn't recognize at first and would sort of learn later is yeah. like, oh no, those are like kind of legendary uh instruments. Mm. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. I think that's like the kind of one of the best parts about music stores and specifically like even the more independent off the beaten path ones that they always mm-hmm, end up having mm-hmm. something weird. Like I remember when we yeah. were in Florence, like I think we went together actually to not, not the one that I bought my guitar from, but like some of those other mm-hmm. little ones where you'd like walk in mm-hmm. and it's like, they just have some, you know, they had like the selection of guitars and pianos and, mm-hmm. and drums. And then they had like the weird toy piano in the corner or like an accordion right. that's super old. That oh no yeah. One I mean, play. just, well, there has to be accordions because every every uh, you know street center yeah. in Europe needs one accordion player. It's I true. think that's government regulation. Absolutely, I want one very badly, but I don't. It's very mm-hmm. hard to play. <laughs> so right, maybe right. maybe not. Well, one one day one day you know maybe yeah. you can graduate to that. Right, you can yeah. be a guy with a big scarf, fingerless gloves, and, you know, a wool cap sitting yeah. in front of a church playing accordion to a bunch of pigeons. One day. That sounds like a really mm-hmm. nice goal, honestly. Um, hopefully I'm Great playing it retirement well. benefits. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this is a good segue into what we'll be talking about today, which is obscure instruments throughout history. Um, and what is so fun, too, is that, you know, the way that this has been... The way this is installed and the way that I, you know, wanted to go about it is, you know, there are so many different types of instruments out there besides the very standard ones that we've come to recognize, you know, beyond the guitar, Mm -hmm. the drums, the piano, the like trifecta of what people play today that Mm -hmm. are so weird and fun and unique. Um, But also, Mm -hmm. besides the ones that exist in our contemporary, you know, time or going back even to the 20th century, I was more curious as well as what existed thousands of years ago up to this point. Mm. And so by going 
we're going to go about 43,000 years into the past up to about the 80s um, for this <laughs> this one-off selection of obscure instruments. I just wanted to go through some of the ones that we have in our collection here and talk a little bit about the history yeah. of them and, you know, very briefly, but just some of the things that they have in common. And, you know, throughout this tour, I'd also keep in mind on some of the similarities that these instruments have because from, you know, whether it be 40,000 years or 43,000 years ago up until our present day, there are very common things in these instruments that we still use, that they didn't really mm -hmm. disappear. And I think that that's very fascinating. And, you mm -hmm. know, upon doing a lot of the research for this tour, started to notice that as well, even when electronics come into play. So I just wanted to let, mm -hmm. you know, all mm -hmm. of you out in the audience know that and to keep it in the back of your mind as you're hearing all the different sounds and all of the different instruments um, that we're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's a really good point to, like, even though a lot of these instruments are not things that maybe retain the same relevance to mass culture as a few select instruments have in our current world, um, it, that there is a, there's an architecture to sound that has remained constant. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that humans have always found pleasing and and interesting about yeah. music that goes throughout time. I think what we'll see maybe are instruments that are responding to the confines of how that music is listened to, maybe? Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, because like, I, I have, Allison and I have this conversation a lot. Her as someone that really knows how to sing and has like sung you know uh church music and stuff for you know growing up catholic and has actually done choir work and me is someone that really enjoys the history of electric guitar and amplification learning right. about the, the limitations and the evolution of live sound mm. one thing that we talk about a lot together is listening for singers and musicians that you can tell learned in a space where they did not have amplification. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you listen to a lot of earlier musicians, you might still hear it now, depending on who it is. But like, if you listen to Tina Turner and how you just can you can hear her and you know she's loud right you know she got her start you know singing you know in front of a church uh in in a congregation in a space like that whereas for a lot of other later rock musicians and this isn't a knock on them you can tell that they were able to sing quieter to maybe express different parts of their voice, but always were able to, oh, well, you know, you can just turn up the volume. Mm. Whereas, you know, really, next time you hear, like, River Deep, Mountain High, like, really listen to the fact that she is belting. Mm. And if you were standing in front of her, you would probably be knocked over. Right. <laughs> that like huh. with how how hard she's she's pushing her body yeah wow yeah and and i think you could look at that as 
in in a western context you look at the evolution of an orchestra that Mm -hmm. yeah there's all of these instruments that are trying to fill a landscape fill a wall of sound so all of these different instruments are being developed to fit in this niche to Mm. fit in this in the different spots of the headroom yeah as as the sound travels from the instrument and hits you in the ear yeah exactly i mean i think it's it is really fascinating in in following the history of of sound in that way right like you're saying with amplification Mm -hmm. where it does these instruments do come to play because that amplification exists you know Mm -hmm. but even in some of the older ones that we'll start with with you know mostly flutes or uh, Mm -hmm. rudimentary drums or melodic instruments and things that can make a pretty loud Mm -hmm. sound but also when playing them with multiple we'll just take the flute because we'll start moving Mm -hmm. into that way but you know when you have multiple of them it gets louder because there's just Mm -hmm. more sounds happening and then more interesting things Mm -hmm. going on so I yeah I do think it's it is very interesting seeing the context to which these instruments can be played in you know that mm-hmm. from from you know drum circles to then studio you know soundproof spaces is very interesting mm-hmm. in terms of how they're recorded and and yeah. what they're trying to do what what they yeah exactly mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean I guess in starting with that as I can take us back to the oldest one that I have here. Um, if we go over this way, this this um, mm-hmm. is the oh gosh, here comes my German pronunciation. Probably should have practiced this, but the <laughs> Geisenklöster flutes found in the Geisenklöster cave in Germany. I'm missing some of my vowels there, but bear with me; it's really long. Um, and this these date back to about forty two to forty three thousand years ago. That's how old they are. Ooh. Yeah, and they're made out of mammoth ivory and mute swan bone. So mm. these flutes are believed to be some of the oldest ones found in Europe, and they're unfortunately uh, they're unplayable because they would probably oh. disintegrate if we touched them. But they do provide an example of the types of instruments our ancient ancestors would have played, and the pretty much straightforward nature of them. You know how they look very similar to what we would see today in terms of a flute. Um, mm-hmm. And note that this flute shape and look hasn't really changed that much. Now, it's also mm-hmm. believed that these flutes and others like them would have helped early humans to form strong bonds with each other and continue to spread, you know, across the continent mm-hmm. with the species mm-hmm. where we're really starting to get a sense that music has some sort of cultural yeah. importance. Can I ask, yeah. since we have the shapes, but they are unplayable, have we been able to, I say we meaning <laughs> scientists, have we been able to, say, make a... 3D scan and reconstruct mm. the flute. Yeah. I'm picturing in the third Jurassic Park movie where they make the <laughs> yes. uh, chamber that's supposedly inside the Velociraptor's skull. Yes. Oh and, my uh, God. Then they blow, they blow in it and it makes the Velociraptor noise. Yeah. Uh, I know exactly. The Velociraptor call that we all know that's Alan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's what i think about any time they do like all these older 3d scans of like you know the vocal cords or something or like the the bone shape yeah but to answer your question yeah they can they have done that and can and actually if i can use a more 
specific example, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, they did make a 3D scan and a new version of the this other flute, which is right next to it. This is about 43,100 mm-hmm. years old. Um, but it's okay. the it's called the DVJ uh again, pardon my pronunciation, but the DVJ Babe flute uh from Circano, Slovenia. And mm-hmm. this is actually thought to be made out of a cave bear femur. Now, this one has um a lot of debate around it, but this is where I want to get into the 3D scan to actually play the instruments mm-hmm. because this is originally yeah, this was thought to be one of the oldest flutes again, but it's also been debated on who invented it first because there's some theories to suggest that this is a Cro-Magnon made flute while others believe it's more mm-hmm. of a Neanderthal one. Then there's a study that shows up in 2015 that also suggests that this was just a bone that got chewed up by hyenas. Um, but that also got disputed because um, the flute was artificially reconstructed, you know, to test its actual mm-hmm. musical capability. You know, people wanted to see, scientists wanted to see, can this actually be played? Mm-hmm. Because if it can't be played, mm-hmm. then obviously it's probably not a flute. So a professional musician by the name of Lubin uh, Dimkarowski, who he he tested this artificial flute, the one that they made as a 3D scan, yeah. and was actually able to play it and find that it had melodic tones to it that could go up and down in scales which is really oh. interesting. And this was also concluded that that wouldn't have been possible if it was just randomly bit. Now, even if you look at the mm-hmm. flute, you can see that the way that the notes holes are spaced out, it would be pretty, it would be a really crazy coincidence if it was actually bitten by hyenas. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this indicates though, because they did the 3D scan, because they had a fake flute that they could play, that it's not, you know, it wasn't an accident and it, very much could be suggestive of Neanderthal instruments or potentially early right. human, but I know that that's what they're shooting for. So what I'm what I'm picturing in my head is hearing a bunch of middle like a middle schooler play hot cross buns on the recorder, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, yes, this was the beginnings of, yeah. of music. Honestly, it probably if was. You can, if you can get if you can get those three notes, yeah, yeah, that's all you you probably could. I mean, I guess if we have if we can get our hands on a 3D scan of those early you know, flutes from Germany. I wonder if you could play hot cross, but you probably could, you know, it's not going to sound great, but you could definitely do it. But that's Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things here is that like, because the science allows for it, we can actually reconstruct a lot of these instruments and play them Mm -hmm. to see if it'll Mm -hmm. even work, which I think is really Mm -hmm. fascinating. So obviously with some, with some differences because of the material and stuff and the age to it, but, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I'm also fascinated by the title of professional musician. Uh, yeah. Because like, like I'm sure I'm sure this guy has uh you know like credentials and has studied music, but also it's like well yeah like Bon Jovi is technically a professional musician. <laughs> That's how it was you know, labeled. I, I don't I don't know if I don't know if Bon Jovi or Steven Tyler would be able to figure out how to play uh, a hollowed out bear femur. Yeah, I think that's their they are a um they're a researcher as well. Like they have the credentials to be playing like these specific types of instrument. But I like how in the article, it lists them as professional musician to indicate that they're not, right, they're right. not an ordinary musician. <laughs> they're professional, professional, professional musician. Drake has been given <laughs> this femur and will determine. <laughs> yeah. I know. I couldn't find that like specific title, but it was like, yeah, this guy, you know, he played it and apparently has like, that one in a million skill that some people do where it's like they can mm-hmm. just play these older instruments. Cause you know, there's well, someone out there do, that can. Yeah. Well, do do you do this as well? Where sometimes uh, you'll, you'll pluck something 
that's around you and you'll realize it makes like a recognizable note or sound oh yeah absolutely yeah are you gonna be like the charlie puth over here you're gonna start being like that's actually an e flat if we hit the door (laughs) at this angle (laughs) it is cool though it's fascinating i i just know it sounds it's familiar i don't know like the scale i couldn't nail like that's actually a g like i don't know but Mm -hmm. I, i can guess in a sense that it, right. like my ears know that it is but mm-hmm. maybe i don't necessarily um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is interesting in here like but there had to be a way that like you know even with these ancient flutes that there was some sort of familiar sound to them or something that sounded it for yeah. lack of vocabulary that sounds right you know that it scratches yeah, that, that part of the brain and it's yeah. like ooh, that's not play that again and, you know that's how right right yeah you know and there's there's, you know, the the Neanderthals or Cro-Magnon, right. you know, hanging out. Yeah. One of them, uh, you know, starts playing and the other one's like, Chuck, <laughs> it's me, your cousin, yeah. Marvin Magnum. <laughs> you know that new sound you're looking for? <laughs> Listen to this. This is just a bunch of flute noises and drums. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, yeah, it's possible. Maybe rock and roll was invented in the actual Stone Age. That was just inherent. <laughs> rock and roll. It's it's got rock in the name. It's got rock in the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but w- without devolving into Flintstones level humor, um, the the bedrock of humor. Oh if you will. my god. <laughs> oh god. I, what have we become? I, were you a Flintstones? kid like w- w- i watched it came the on bo- it came on boomerang occasionally, yeah I, but I think i i think i was way too skeptical of it and, <laughs> and too like cavemen didn't live at the same time as i know i did you watch the did you see the uh the live action movie though with john goodman oh with um rick moranis and john goodman yeah uh i think i saw it on tv it's a mess uh you would love it then for sure. Yeah, there was some restaurant that we went to that had the official pinball machine oh. of that movie. Oh. I remember the pinball machine more than I remember the movie. Okay, it sounds about right. <laughs> Given how <laughs> the movie is. Anyways. Yes. Um, but okay, the I I guess the because music is something that is actually happening in physics, mm-hmm. you know, when we hear notes, we are hearing uh, a product of physics of air moving uh, at at a certain frequency and speed and everything. Mm. We're we're hearing vibrations. So th- this brings to mind a couple of ideas that have kind of always you know surrounded the origins of music, and I think we've talked a bit about this before. But you know, a potential. Uh, mimicry that prehistoric humans were attempting to almost respond to the sounds of nature around them of the sounds that might evoke a natural process or another species or something uh and it there there was this concept that was brought up in a uh history of sonic art class that i was in that Mm. nature sounds just the sounds of being out in the world the water the wind uh birds around you animals around you insects all of all of this noise that is around us is high fidelity sound Mm. and human 
created music is low fidelity that the sounds that are completely anthropocentric and uh human in origin are this low fidelity approximation of something else Hmm. that the sounds of a city are low fidelity interesting yeah it's it's you know it you could take it or leave it but it uh, as a as a philosophy but it's an interesting thought as far as what what we're what exactly are we striving for when we make music when we try to make a sound that we are not physically capable of making you know because we we can do quite a lot with singing oh yeah and yeah. we have we have to assume that was the original music yeah that, yeah, that existed yeah. that that predated instruments what was our impulse to make a new sound and it, it's yeah. not necessarily an answer that it's not necessarily something <laughs> that i think either of us are qualified no, to answer or no. really almost anyone but it's an interesting thought like what was that drive to mm. make a new sound yeah yeah, I hope. I mean, I wish we had an answer for it. I guess we have to look inwards to find it. But I think it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's that innate human creativity that we have—the need to feel patterns and see patterns, but then to also mm-hmm. express ourselves some way and then form mm-hmm. different. Th- I mean, I have no answers for this. It's all speculation and just ideas. But mm-hmm. like, even the fact that, like, you know, because like even throat singing is something that's cross-cultural mm-hmm. and it comes out of a very specific region in the you know asian steps but at the same time is a part of different cultures because they have different versions of it and all of that linking back to the human throat right. the human the human voice really having like seven tones to it and be you can actually mm-hmm. make yourself sound like a uh, an oscillator which is kind of amazing <laughs> it's and it's that's how you get that really high-pitched frequency and i, w- I wasn't going to bring it up necessarily because it's mm-hmm the voice as an instrument is a whole other philosophical thing, but it mm-hmm. is fascinating in, in tandem to what you're talking about, about mimicry as well. And um, you could definitely make a case for that, that there is this, this replication happening or also a singing along with. And mm-hmm. like, cause even mm-hmm. think about it now, like how, I mean, I use it in my own music when we have field recordings or samples or things being mangled or twisted or appearing in our, our songs because there's a there's something we like about that but then even in like i I remember hearing it's a type of singing um and i don't know it specifically so i don't want to go too far into something i'm not entirely familiar with but it's from the sami people um Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a type of singing that actually mimics one of the birds or some of the birds from the area Mm. that they're from and Mm -hmm. it's like you know a way of singing that mimics that but also becomes this expressionistic way of singing but it's very fascinating in thinking that how it's responding to that to that no not noise but like that sound you know mm-hmm. it's responding mm-hmm. to it so you know i i think you know there even with these flutes or these other instruments that i'm talking about and then we'll continue talking about there's definitely something there that you imagine would be harmonizing around the sounds near you. Because if you're outside and you're playing a drum, mm-hmm. you're playing a flute, you're figuring out the rhythm or the melodies that are pairing mm-hmm. with the no- these high fidelity noises, right, of nature sounds. Yeah. So I think yeah. it all it's all part of that, you know, natural orchestra for sure. 
Totally. I, I mean, that's sort of... Th there's an interesting interview with uh, uh, Francis Bebe talking about uh, the, the, the flute uh created made by uh pygmies in the uh, oh yes Congo. yes 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 and it has the one it only plays one note oh my god yeah which, i love that interview yeah and there, there's a fantastic video of him demonstrating it where he talks about it being a a conversational instrument yeah. mm -hmm. that it's not that the the pygmies music only uh revolves around one note it's that uh that you are supposed to be almost having a conversation with uh the flute that you are making you are singing uh and whistling and providing other notes in accompanying yeah. to the flute itself mm -hmm. that creates this one note that is almost percussive yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up. I love that interview so much. Mm -hmm. It is, it's so, because mm -hmm. it's crazy when he explains it and then starts playing it and it's this like, yeah. you know, amazing yeah. sound and you you, you, mm -hmm. you do a double take because you're like, wait a minute, how's he doing that? And it's just mm -hmm. that it's, be yeah, it's, it's that conversation that comes out of it. So it's like, it's limitation, mm -hmm. but not in the way we think of it, right? And then you have to kind mm -hmm. of go beyond the restrictions we put on how music should work. And that's partially right. why I think I, I really like these older instruments versus some of the later ones we'll get into because mm -hmm. they're less restrictive in a very weird way. Mm -hmm. They're really limited, but they're, there's mm -hmm. some, because they're so limited, they go beyond mm -hmm. the Western scale and the like, right. like, um, you know, to jump back into it too and, 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 in talking about it like for instance the um there's many of these type of instruments so i'm only going to pick one it's not necessarily specific but the lithophone uh which comes from all over the world but some of the oldest are from vietnam and india specifically that date back to about mm -hmm. four thousand to ten thousand years ago and mm -hmm. they're just these instruments made out of resonant rocks essentially the rocks mm -hmm. that have sound mm -hmm. to them i'm not entirely sure the specific type of rock so i hope if we have any geologists out here they can correct me uh, but the term for lithophone is actually used to describe any instrument that's made out of rocks and when struck produces a sound. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's essentially an older version of that, like, you know, a marimba or a vibraphone, those type of things. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But they exist from all over the world. But the one that we have specifically is from Vietnam and it's called a dan da, which has 11 vertical stone slabs and when struck produces a note. And so mm -hmm. researchers, researchers also suggest that these were created by people carving the stones so they could be arranged in this fashion. So again, it's that it's this like limited mm. material. You hear it, you know the note sounds this way. You have to organize them this way in order to make something out of it. But again, it's yeah. it's a limited material, but it allows for so much movement and flexibility in it too, right? It's not. It's, it's, I think you can start to see that there's maybe some scales happening and some away from that type of flute where it's the one note. Now you're getting multiple notes and mm -hmm. as you strike them, you get different noises, which offers a very interesting, you know, look to things. Um, but then even jumping forward a couple thousand years, you know, the idea of also drone sounds and more complicated instruments, I think is very fascinating of where we go beyond the... Mm -hmm. You know, hearing the one flute sound or hearing the resonant rocks or the the bone, mm -hmm. the old, old-fashioned flutes. You know, this one instrument that we have here um, called a rota, which is, it's a Welsh instrument. So it's spelled mm -hmm. C-R-W-T-H, but I believe is pronounced rota. And it's a bowed lyre, essentially, or lyre. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Now, 
what I found about this, this instrument I recently discovered. Now, I, I was familiar with the uh, Scandinavian toggle harpa, which is a very similar looking instrument. It's a little mm. older, but it does not have a fretboard. You have to physically hold the strings and then bow. The reason I didn't bring it up is because this one's much more obscure and um, <laughs> and is much more interesting because it's essentially this, it's a Welsh bowed lyre or lyre that uh, it shows up to our knowledge around the 10th, 11th centuries. It could be older. Uh, and specifically during, you know, that medieval time in, you know, the British Isles. So it consists of a fingerless fretboard with six strings tuned to G, G, C, C, and D, D, allegedly. That's how it's been tested. And this, you can mm -hmm. buy one. They still, you, people still play them specifically. It's really mm -hmm. important um, in the culture as well. So, but again, like it's, it's interesting here that it has that it, it, it sounds very similar to a toggle harp. It's got this very droning kind of mm -hmm. sound to it and you can play notes to it. But then like as you hold down one of those key or one of those strings, other notes are still going to be droning on. So you're getting this yeah. other you're basically again, it's that conversation that's starting to come up that you see a lot with bowed instruments. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also thought to have been a modified a modified lyre from byzantine times like a byzantium lyre which is really interesting okay. that somebody could have got their hands on it and said but what if we bow it <laughs> like what if we what if we do something else with right, it and right. like that also starts to make a lot of sense when we're comparing this to the toggle harpa or the bigger ones or even some of the rudimentary violins that start to take place a little later it's mm -hmm, they all mm -hmm. sound very similar they're all played very similar but they're very slightly different this would also have been made out of wood and gut string just to be clear mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and horsehair okay bow. yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess my question is so far, um, were these instruments that were meant to be played alone? Like, you know, you'd have a bunch of people around you maybe singing or like, but would, would this have been played along with other instruments, uh, like as accompaniment or is this a, a, there, there's, there's one bard sitting there mm. playing the instrumental and people around you were singing i think it goes either way i think um this because th this rota specifically has the capability that it's portable it's small and it's pretty mm -hmm. loud so i i think yeah. even in the demonstration videos that exist on the internet um because mm -hmm. again this is now something we can play and you could buy and people still make them mm -hmm. um you it, it could be something where there's one person playing it and that most people right. are singing it could be also that multiple of people are playing them and it becomes like a quartet or it's being played mm -hmm. alongside drums which is more than likely yeah. like i would say to my this is my knowledge i don't know enough about this specific instrument but just at the time you could easily make a case for this instrument being played alongside a flute and a drum of sorts with even potentially okay. more people i i would mm -hmm. say that just being comfortable knowing the history of this, those type yeah. of instruments in tandem to each other I yeah. don't know for certain though, but I yeah, I think you can make yeah. a case for it. Mhm. Mm I yeah, is the thing that I'm always interested in it, with a lot of instruments are their 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 ability to act independently and carry a melody by themselves, to carry a whole arrangement by themselves versus where they are supposed to fit in a more orchestral setting yeah there's 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 a lot of instruments that i think people are very um unless it's very particular type of music unless the uh musician is at a certain level of skill there's a lot of instruments that people do not like to hear on their <laughs> own and then sure. there are instruments that 
really seem to lend themselves well to being played solo. You know, Mm. there's there's an instrument like the piano that you can understand was so revolutionary to music because you could play multiple notes at once. Yes. Yeah. And even for, for for instruments that have a drone note, like a sitar, a bagpipes, uh, this lyre you're talking about, you know, anything anything with a drone note, you you understand that oh, this is so you can have something sort of filling in the bottom, yeah, while I play a melody over it. Yes. Uh, so yeah. that so that you you can have this more full sound. Whereas like w- like with an orchestra, most of the instruments in a in an orchestra in a large orchestra don't none of them play chords or very rarely play chords. You're expected to be uh playing in tandem with other people to fill out mm. different registers that there's going to be multiple trombones playing at once. And that will occupy this uh, geography of of the strata of sound, and that will be playing a chord or a melody or a line. And then uh, down here below are going to be the is going to be the tuba. Uh, You know, up a bit higher is going to be the the wind and the the trumpets. Uh, There's there's sort of these these instruments that have a reputation as being harder to play by themselves that you really need the accompaniment and then there's instruments that can like like the guitar you know particularly the acoustic guitar that or the or the piano uh that you you really only need one person and suddenly you have this enormous amount of uh of octaves and uh and 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 being able to do multiple parts of music at yeah right right yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i would say like it's very interesting because i think this also comes Mm -hmm. to play when like because you're a a band primary musician and i am a Mm -hmm. solo musician just based in like my experience i always i think that does shape how we look at things sometimes and sort of fascinating oh yeah totally because like i didn't even consider that when i was going Mm -hmm. through some of these instruments and and again like i said with the with the rota with some of the flutes and drums Mm -hmm. like you can make a case that they're being played in that way where they expect another instrument to be coming in and and talking essentially Mm -hmm. right to filling in those gaps but Right. In most of the ones I've picked, even going forward, they're all kind mm-hmm. of solo in that way because they have right. drones to them to fill that need for something else. And I think that's like yeah. primarily, you know, in a lot of folk music and like, you know, mm-hmm. things where you need um you, mm-hmm. you need another sound there, but you can't have somebody else play it for you and pedals don't exist yet for looping. <laughs> so you need yeah. all these other yeah, things, no, there's, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> medieval ed sheeran you know right, he's got his not, loop not really not really pulling the same audience uh right. he's just stuck there fighting for the lannister i got know, i was about singing. to say i was like wasn't he in game of thrones for like a minute <laughs> well uh okay so uh oh just last weekend i was i was at a wine bar you know b- being pretentious uh <laughs> and i was watching a of a folk musician guy is actually uh philip roebuck uh local uh musician in hudson valley new york 
and you know guy can sing guy can play guitar wonderfully um he also you know doing he's he's got a um a the 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 what you call it the the pedal for for a kick drum for Uh, a bass drum yeah gotcha 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 and he had a guy accompanying him who would back him up on a couple of vocal things but the other guy was playing the washboard. Oh, I always wanted one of those with the finger, yeah, with the finger and, picks. Yeah, yeah. And and watching someone play it, like really studying, watching them play it, you realize how much it is really doing the part of the snare and hi-hat. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I could suddenly imagine someone who didn't have access to a snare drum mm-hmm. playing along with someone yeah that you're all sitting around you're trying to make music with the things at your disposal and you know oh there's there's a washboard and it you know if you if you scratch it and hit it you get the sounds you you can you can get that snare drum sound yeah from it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it, it also really made me think about I, I guess i've had this thought before but it really solidified for me how much even a drum kit really is made out of things that traditionally would have been done by multiple people yeah that yeah this person is playing that you have a whole bunch of people that are playing toms you have someone playing snare uh you have someone playing cymbals and trying to even imagine like okay there's a guy who's gonna do all of these things and it's gonna sound <laughs> incredible all at once yeah it's kind of crazy um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no, it is really fascinating though, that we like that one, there can be, uh, there's instruments that mimic other instruments and then produce their own sound, right? Like the washboard, yeah, something, that, so something like the washboard that, that, that completely was not intended. Nope. Right. For it, that. And you get like spoons and other things too become that yeah, very similar yeah, sound. Spoons, so cool. Oh my God. Hard yeah. to play. Very hard, but mm-hmm. so cool. No, it's a lot of that, like where you get these types of instruments that start, yeah, they come apart to, to to be played solo and also fill of a gap of something else that's required. But then you end up getting this entirely mm-hmm. unique sound, you know, by themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And like, like even, okay. Like in moving forward, like down the hall here, mm-hmm. we have one of my favorite instruments, which is the hurdy gurdy. If you've heard of that, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit Talk it's, about drone. I know for real. Well, that's probably one of the most popular ones on this list. I would say that's like, maybe not as obscure anymore. It definitely used to be. Maybe Sea mm-hmm. of Thieves kind of ruined that for everybody, but it's it's <laughs> such a weird instrument. And here's why: because okay, number one, it's also there's there's a few where that this that exists in a sense of like time wise. We're probably the one that you'll hear, and also that like to think about is the 16th century one. You know, the more mm-hmm. Renaissance based hurdy gurdy because that's when it's sort of perfected. But it has its origins in Byzantine or the Middle East in terms of like where oh, wow. it came from. It's that, it's old. that old. It's that old in terms of the concept. So ninth century or earlier, its origin mm-hmm. story starts. But then it's made out of wood and gut strings as well as a metal crank there. And there's some keys. I think they're out of wood. I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. But this is where we're taking that concept too of the solo instrument and making it as complicated as possible. Because, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's thought to have originated from either a European fiddle or as well as an Arabic um, rebab, some, something similar to that. Again, also potentially Byzantine. It's coming from all over these places and one can also assume that there was a combination made. But essentially, it's an instrument that's cranked to produce a drone sound similar to that bagpipe sound. 
and has keys mm -hmm. attached to its neck that are used to hold down the notes and make chords. Uh, and then you also have to crank it in order to make the strings play rather than strumming it or bowing it. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. dexterous activity um, going on here. And it's definitely famous around that Baroque time when yeah. you would hear it. It's also interesting, too, because it can be played solo or with other instruments again. So you can because yeah. it fills this like it does like the bagpipe does where it fills a lot of noise. But it can also be played alongside another type of organ or a accordion or an old accordion or guitars and drums. So like it does have flexibility playing with people, but it's so complicated because you have to crank a hard metal thing at the bottom of the instrument while holding up the keys and playing all across it and getting these like very weird sounds mm -hmm. to it. So, you know, to shred on a, on a, on a hurdy gurdy mm -hmm. would be really complicated rather than just using it to play like a bass tone or something or to play rhythm guitar, mm. essentially, if we have to compare it to something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think like in regards to what we were just talking about, that fits in that obscure category, right? Because it's like, okay, well, you're the one hurdy-gurdy player in like Italy or something. So like, <laughs> who whose band are you joining? And or are you just yeah, a solo yeah. musician? You know? I mean, is it is it hard being a hurdy-gurdy, a contemporary hurdy-gurdy player? Yeah, that wants to be in pop music, but they... uh, you don't like Viking metal. Um, they usually just do covers of other sounds, but ultimately it's going to sound yeah, like a Viking I, I mean, song. I could, I could, yeah, I could picture someone on the side of the street. They play the hurdy-gurdy, mm. but they're playing like, you know, a medieval version of Hotel California. You yeah. Know, they're trying yeah. to. True. They're like, you, you hear the vocal melody to Don't Stop Believing on, right. on a hurdy-gurdy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just, it, it. A lot of instruments that seem like they take an incredible amount of discipline to learn how to play. <laughs> but I know, I know. They're so expensive. Um, but yeah, and they're expensive. And then you're not entirely sure where you even learn to play, it. play yeah. them. And you also kind of have a feeling that like, does anyone... Does someone want to listen to me play this? Someone will definitely want to hear it. There's like me who's YouTubing, you know, I'm looking up like, yeah. you know, hurdy-gurdy songs and it's like, oh, it's like, I think Lindsey Sterling really set the, the scene for that for like any, mm -hmm. some sort of obscure instrument cover of like fantasy genres. But um, mm -hmm. the Hurdy Gurdy is also made famous because of the Black Sails theme song. If you've heard that by um, oh. by Bear, Bear McCready, Oh my God, mm -hmm. the revolution, that song is so good. It's arguably better than the series, the main title, um, <laughs> but it is so, it's a good show, but it's also just right, like. Right, right. Yeah, m much like the uh, the show uh, Dragon Hunters. Uh, the, the, did you ever watch that? No. It was this weird French cartoon that got dubbed in English, and I think there's only a couple of seasons of it. It got put on. It got distributed on Cartoon Network, I think, in the States. I'm pretty sure it was French originally. Okay. But their theme song was done by The Cure. Oh. Oh, I think and we've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's an awesome song. Huh. You can't, like, find it or listen to it or download it, like, anywhere official. I don't think The Cure's ever, like, actually put it out. But it's an awesome, awesome right. song. Huh. You know, I would, I would, I would listen to it. You don't have to know that it was for a children's right. cartoon for sure. 
yeah, I, I mean, with with so many of these these instruments, like I was saying before, it's it's interesting trying to figure out what um, what need they were fulfilling, yeah. and also if history had gone differently, would they be more prominent? You I know, mean, the, yeah, it's possible. The, the the piano just for having sustain for having the pedals when when you when you hear a piano versus a harpsichord and they superficially look similar and at least in the early days of the piano the piano would have been playing music that was originally written for the harpsichord when you it, it's like listening to uh, someone play a steel string acoustic guitar versus a yeah. gut string, uh, you know, a classical nylon guitar. Yeah. And you suddenly recognize the sustain that steel string guitars have and why there is less music written for. Not not that there isn't, because there's great finger players that finger style players that use steel string guitars but when you listen to them or if you've played them and feel that difference you understand the need for pedaling and by by pedaling i mean having um having to quickly play multiple notes because you do not have the sustain of metal strings yep where <laughs> yep. you can you can strum a, a steel string acoustic guitar and just let it ring you can't really do that on a classical gut string guitar. Not really, just... no. Yeah, no, there's no um it, it's it's almost it, it's it's it has such a specific sound. Someone yeah. that <laughs> someone that is beginning to play guitar, but they bought a hundred dollar classical guitar off Craigslist or wherever, and they want to play these songs that require sustain. You know, they yeah. want to play pop songs. They want to play Beatles songs that they're learning, that they got the tabs to. And you just kind of, you can play the notes, but... <laughs> yeah, it's a slight it's just, difference. Just, so it, just, it almost sounds, this is going to sound mean, but it almost sounds sad. Like, you're like, I learned this Beatles song on the guitar and it's the beginning of Hard Day's Night, and you <laughs> strum that first chord that's supposed to ring out and like get everybody hyped, and it's just like, bang! <laughs> I mean, there's some <laughs> sustain. It's not like that <laughs> blunt, but yeah, I know. Yeah, well, also because like, yeah, a lot of the those strings now, the last three are coated in a little bit of metal, so it gives you like a little uh -huh. bit of a ring. But yeah, like. Now to cope too, you're putting on like other pedals or like adding extra stuff to it because you need reverb to them. Because if you uh -huh, use classical uh -huh. guitar, like, or if you're in an amphitheater, that'll do it. But like, uh -huh. if you have reverb on those, you you heard this because of the one that I was using the nylon string guitar in in Italy, yeah. um, in our building that was in, in the the school's building that had like massive uh, oh, staircase. You just play yeah. anything in there and it sounds amazing because the reverb is uh -huh. so good. But uh -huh. you know, if I play that in a room by myself. Or um, at a bar or something, mm -hmm. and it's not amplified, you won't hear it because it's not that loud. Yeah. But if you played your Gibson, you know, the really loud mm -hmm. acoustic guitar with steel strings, yeah, you're going to hear mm -hmm. it. So it is like, right. it does matter. But, but even even the, the, the guitar that I play is 
is not even necessarily one that was even meant to project particularly uh, loud. That's true. It's one, a student model, and also the size is more of uh, like a parlor guitar. It's yeah. a slightly, it's not a dreadnought, you know, no, those no. really big acoustic guitars. I mean, even like, God, even some of the guitars that Gibson has made over the years, the Super Jumbos, you know, if you see any of those pictures of old country musicians even yeah. contemporary country musicians play them but it's more for looks than anything now because we have contemporary uh uh um amplification technology right but if you look at you know people that were playing those in front of auditoriums uh and and in halls in you know uh, several decades ago you realize that the the size of those guitars yeah. was a part of the technology of them that they were a- that they were actually able to project uh sound further mm. uh that they would be able to cut through that they would that they would stand out in the register of yeah. uh, any musical accompaniment that uh that you would be able to hear them a lot of what what became musical amplification technology was because the guitar was getting popular right and it's not a very loud instrument and it doesn't have the ability of say a violin which really if we're talking about portable instruments uh that somebody could travel around with fairly easily the violin was was the king oh yeah oh yeah so long for for so much of history for for to be able to take popular songs and go from place to place and be able to play songs that people knew and people could sing along to um when guitars started to enter orchestras and stuff you know this is when we start to see the archtop guitars right yeah that they when you play them now they don't quite sound right and i had always wondered about that too and I, I, there actually is kind of an answer to them, why they don't really have the low end that we expect, that sort of deep sound that we expect from acoustic guitars. And it's because they were meant to be played with big jazz bands. They mm. have more mid-range, um, and they have those adjustable bridges so that they can actually... So that you can actually hear them in a jazz band setting. Oh. So that they can actually cut through the register. When you raise, uh, on an at least on an archtop constructed guitar that has sort of that, 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 um, that, that, uh, the, the top is the, the, the part of the guitar that faces you watching the, the person <laughs> play the guitar. Right. Uh. When that is arched like a violin and it has the side uh, F-shaped sound holes, uh, it has a bridge that can be raised and lowered. When the strings are raised, the guitar actually gets louder. It gets harder to play because now your strings are higher up off the fretboard and you have to push down harder. But there actually was a way for them to control the volume of of their guitars. And this would all kind of become irrelevant once... uh, Got an amp, right? Yeah, once amplifiers became a thing. Um, We'll get into that maybe in a little bit, but uh, that all of this stuff, all of this technology 
is responding to the yeah. way that people are listening to music and you to, to kind of get back to my original point i guess you wonder how different the popularity of these instruments would have gone if there if if maybe there were slight differences in the technology yeah. i i think about a lot um how small would we have gotten pianos to be if the keyboard had not been invented because mm. people were always trying to find a way to have a small piano that sounded decent right. and, was, and was portable. The piano was so popular, so revolutionary to music. There's there's a great video of a guy uh, on YouTube restoring a ship's piano. Hmm. You know, something that would have been able to like go on a sea voyage. And it's, oh, wow. it's like, you know, it, it almost looks like it's bigger. It has multiple octaves. It's not quite like a toy piano, like, right? Uh, you know that you'll see sometimes. It, it sounds super jangly, and, <laughs> you know, almost almost like kind of funny. Like he starts right. playing on it, and it's like it just sounds like a sea shanty. Like, oh, that's so funny. There's there's no other music that you could play. No, on it. no, so you're just playing sea shanties. It it has a yeah, it has a wonderful sound all its own, but it's like it's just ding 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 ding. <laughs> right. Just a, it's just a dinky little piano, but. You're like, that was how they could get it on the ship. Right. You know? Nobody's sense. going to <laughs> nobody's going to get a grand piano on the sh on the God, on this imagine? on this voyage. <laughs> yeah. Uh so uh, you know, the, the, the closest I think we got was like the Fender Rhodes piano. Yeah, yeah. But then as soon as keyboards get invented, like proper keyboards in the in the 70s and 80s oh yeah man it's over there's there that technology was kind of a dead end you know it, it, yeah. in a way that like even if you strum an electric guitar it has some acoustic qualities to it you don't yeah. have to plug it in to practice right 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 there's no acoustic quality to a keyboard even a nice keyboard no no, it requires yeah. electricity, which is very important. Mm -hmm. And but also mm -hmm. incredibly revolutionary in the fact that we use those for like every single genre of music, essentially, unless it's mm -hmm. like, you know, older styles or acoustic styles, right? Require a keyboard from pop music mm -hmm. to rock music to anything because that's how a lot of people in the industry make any sort of synth sound or any sort of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, like drum sounds or anything is by plugging in a MIDI device. And nine times out of mm -hmm. 10, MIDI is through a keyboard because it's easier because it, you have a scale right in front of you and it makes perfect sense, you know, from um, from using those smaller portable keyboards that you can just plug into your laptop and play. Pretty cool in the sense of how that goes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I guess in that in that case too, like, you know, because like if you think of somebody, something... Um, really briefly before I want to jump into actually I think segueing mm -hmm. into electronic instruments because we're about at that mm -hmm. point but you know I, I imagine if like the glass harmonica which is this other instrument that's standing on the floor here mm. if this became popular then we'd all have to have you know thousands of dollars to be able to play it but this this is also <laughs> this like to me is coming up when you're saying like you know well, how if, if the piano went a different way or if these instruments went a different way what would happen yeah. and like there's so many different versions of these and it's essentially that same thing of like you know when you see the people playing glassware with their fingers, and I never quite understood how yeah, it works. But yeah, it's it's somebody you you can picture someone saying, "Could I make a more 
yeah uh, ready to go instrument version of of playing glasses right exactly exactly and it's which it's pretty wild because this specific version we're looking at was invented by benjamin franklin yes the american benjamin huh. franklin he really he really had he had his fingers in a lot of pie yeah i had to double check and i'm like 90 percent sure it is him because i was like <laughs> i wonder if there's a different benjamin franklin but it's in 1762 <laughs> And, you know, it, it's called like, yeah, the glass, you'll, you'll hear it be called the glass harmonica, harmonica, you know, basically meaning harmonica, meaning harmony in Greek. It's it's a very, very obscure instrument that came to prominence pretty early on in the Renaissance time, mm-hmm. but then is like more master in 1762 when Benjamin Franklin invents this version. And to describe what we're looking at, it's essentially, it looks like one of those like, you know, chunks of meat on the kebab at the kebab stand where they're like you know circling around yeah, the flame yeah, it look it, it looks like you have one of those rotating shawarma spits but sideways and made of glass yeah yeah exactly actually that's a really good way mm-hmm, to put it mm-hmm. yeah yeah a sh- shawarma phone a shawarmanica that's better <laughs> but yeah. but it is like it's it has like a very weird sound to it. It sounds like those glasses, but because it spins with like pedals that you push, you can place mm-hmm. your fingers on it on it very delicately, and and because of the vibration, it'll create sounds. Um, and then there yeah. was also times where they could paint like notes right on the glass to see like mm-hmm. how you were going mm-hmm. to put them on. But then you could also um, experiment beyond that and go into some crazy weird sonic sounds which maybe they were making some ambient albums at that time i don't know but again think about it like because you could imagine somebody being like wow this music is so soothing i just want to sleep to it and it's like the only way to hear it is for like you to hire a personal you know glass harmonica player to come into your like bedroom and play this thing for you to go to sleep like i just like think about franklin you can do that I guess that he probably did, to be fair. Yeah, Kind of yeah. a weird guy. But, um, but yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, again, like, I think that in terms of moving us into that contemporary, into the contemporary, contemporary-ish, as I've labeled it, if you see it actually on the signs here, um, mm-hmm. of where we're going with, you know, instruments and obscure instruments at that, that's another one that's like, okay, well, what would be the use of this? And then I want to ask mm-hmm. you, what would be the use of this instrument, which I, it has become very popular recently, but only in like niche musical fields. Um, and mm-hmm. this is called the, it's called the Honer Guitaret. And it was made in Germany mm. in 1963. And it's mm. technically an electric uh, lamellophone, but the guitaret, it lived a very, very brief life, and it was created by Ernst Zacharias and was introduced as the, again, an electric lamellophone, which it's a classification that defines any instrument that creates sound by vibrating, by sounds vibrating on a small plate, essentially. So, like, I think a, um, a kalimba technically qualifies as this as well. Okay. And usually they're amplified. That's important that they have some sort of electricity uh-huh. there. So, but the way that one would play it is by plucking small reeds placed all around this tiny rectangular shape that it is. It's very small. It looks like a sh- a very small shoebox, like a narrow one. Um, hmm. And there's also like a bit of a neck to it, and there would be a lever there that you could play to lift or mute all of the sounds. Um, that are coming out of those reeds but it's all electric it's electronically amplified so it's created that way essentially so it's making Mm -hmm. these very melodic sounds they're very similar to guitar sounds but it's created in this very bizarre way um but it was so obscure that it only ran for like two years uh so practically Mm -hmm. none really exist 
But there are some. They're just expensive. And as we have one here on display. But they have become very popular again due to the sound, even though it's really distorted, uh, because of it, how it sounds like a thumb piano. Because so, it, it has this very sought-after sound that you see in a lot of like experimental or ambient-type music because it has it's very unique and you really can't replicate it. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, There's a lot of stuff like that. People are seeking out the, the, the glitches of, of these, yeah. of these instruments that were made trying to, trying to approximate the sound of something else. Yeah. It, it is just wild to me. Like, because it, it kind of sucks because I wish like I love old things and I like old gear mm-hmm. and I think they do sound better over time. And I know there's that whole phenomenon about that is like, like now the fact that I'm seeing like digital cameras from when we were probably like, you know, five mm-hmm. or six years old around that time period, like coming into style again and people taking pictures on them. Like it's film is bizarre to me. Really? Oh yeah, dude. It's really popular. Like yeah, maybe not, it's not, huh. maybe it's not that popular, but it's popular enough yeah, that yeah. I'm seeing other people do this where it's like yeah. taking thrift shop cameras and taking like 3.4. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I would, I imagine, I imagine a lot of that stuff is the, the way that even in our short lives, we've already seen moments where you could find this thing uh-huh. and it, pick, pick a thing that's become trendy you would see a lot of them at thrift stores because they were not collectible things. They were not, some of them were dead end technologies. And then people realizing, oh, I can get this thing. I have access to this thing. I don't yeah. have the money to get uh, a, you know, reel to reel tape machine, but there's cassette machines. Yeah, and I at, can use that. At, yeah. And suddenly, Tascam cassette recorders are expensive. I hate it. It's so annoying. Uh, yeah, it's well, yeah, it's it's what people have access to. I it is annoying the the trendiness of it, but also I I have to be a little considerate of the fact that people are trying to find something um trying trying to find something and make something new with what they actually have access to because a lot of music gear can be very expensive so you're suddenly like huh well is there something i can do with this again dead-end technology right right there's certain ones though that people just skip over they do not have any desirable qualities about them yeah people that will uh be maybe interested in the imperfections of cassette tape stuff, but nobody, nobody has been able to really make VHS tape work in a in a uh, nice aesthetic way. I don't know, man. It's coming back. It's coming back. Maybe I I understand the appeal of VHS in the sense that this was a pretty rugged technology. Also, it's a way for you to actually own a film. Yeah, true. Um, in, in rather than a world where we rent everything and own nothing, mm. it's um, but no one's shooting on VHS. 
There's people shooting on VHS said like DIY oh, though God. DIY. I, it's it weird, lo- man. I'm, I'm sorry. Ever... It looks and sounds terrible. I'm sorry. I mean, yes, but I, I also should clarify though what I was saying. Annoying about the cassettes. It's not that it's annoying that people use them. It's annoying that they're so expensive because of yeah. the price bump. Like I want one yeah. very badly because no. they are useful instruments. Weirdly enough, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. they're because of trends. They're expensive. Because people say, like, it's like any film camera yeah. right now is absurdly expensive because, like, everybody yeah, so, on TikTok so has one. In in that, in that sense, I can understand people being like, oh, well, I, I can't just, it's not like in the days where I used to be able to go into a thrift store, a secondhand store, and grab a film camera. Right. Now I have to deal with early 2000s, poor <laughs> resolution. 3.4 megapixels. Phone- yeah, yeah, your average phone has better resolution than a lot of those early uh, digital ca- consumer grade, I should say, yeah. digital cameras. And it, it's it's I I I have sympathy for it, and there are occasionally people that can do something interesting with it, but the the, <laughs> the trendiness of it, I'm I'm not always into because it's. I I don't know some some of them just some of them just don't uh some of these technologies just don't do anything to me other than evoke uh kind of their own cheapness which yeah I don't know maybe maybe that's just my own hang-ups about them or the mm-hmm. fact that I don't yet have the nostalgia for those things because yeah, I remember I think, being frustrated by them. <laughs> I think it's the nostalgia, honestly, <laughs> and I and I totally get that. I mean, even pivoting into music again because I don't want to go too far into mm-hmm. cameras. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, I brought it up, but you you see that with um, like even Casio keyboards, like the old toy ones. You know, yeah. they're junk. Let's be honest. But they have yeah. a very interesting sound to they them. They have a sound. And it's they very unique and good. But you have to be very good at recording that properly or just, like, experimenting. And, like, I remember those, like, there's a cat keyboard that's very, you could see it on Reverb. And it's, like, always a thousand yeah. bucks because it was, like, yeah. people wanted that specific sound. And, like, kids' toys go for so much money from the 80s. And it's just kind of mm-hmm. crazy. But, like, even, like... One of the instruments that brings me to um, even our, our last one, honestly, here with the Suzuki Omnicord. You know, I think this fits perfectly mm-hmm. into what we're discussing, where it's created in Japan by the Suzuki Corp in 1981. And it's an electronic synthesizer, super experimental. OK, because it's mm-hmm. I mean, it had some predecessors, mm-hmm. but it's in that same pr- category as the guitarette where. You know, it's this very odd-shaped thing that looks like a. Yeah. It kind of looks like a sideways P almost, but yeah. it's a. Well, ne- neither of them are immediately obvious as instruments. Yeah. If you. Yeah, that's a good point. If you had no frame of reference. Yeah, they, they. You don't really know what you're looking at. Um, it just looks like this. It looks like a thing from the '80s now, but at the time, it's like this yes. super futuristic thing. But space it's, age, sp- exactly. Well, it looks, looks like that. it looks. It looks like a DeLorean, you know. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's an electronic harp slash synth designed. Yeah, you know, designed in the early '80s, and it was supposed to be an auto harp. That was where it was supposed to be classified in. But it became something entirely different. And it's mostly known for its sonic strings and chord-like sounds. And it gives off this very distinct sound that's, it is instantly recognizable and unique in its own way. You know, Adventure Time uses this, I forget, oh, what's her name? Um, Rebecca Sugar 
when doing mm-hmm. the sounds used one of these all the time because it has this very retro video game like sound quality to it you cannot replicate it's very hard yeah um yeah. and i mean we've gotten close but like you know even it, it, it was popular in its own way in the 80s and i think honestly it's become more popular now but like even yeah. looking back at all the instruments we've been talking about you know from the rota to other ones to the older flutes it's interesting how all of these take inspiration off one another like i was getting at and even the the omnichord here what it's trying to get at you know in a way you could make a connection to it being similar to the rota or the um the uh well probably even more like the glass harmonica and the and the uh hurdy-gurdy because of how it's kind of complicated to play and it requires different moving Mm -hmm. parts but at the same time creates this very odd sound to it that ends up being really unique and it's not necessarily mainstream you know you're not going to see a popular 80s band playing it on stage but then Mm -hmm. you will see it show up more in the last couple of decades with indie musicians and other people who found it sound charming and lulling so to speak and i think that that again speaks to what we've been talking about this whole tour that it is all these instruments fill a void so to speak there's a reason why they come into existence and why they stay Mm -hmm. for so long and i think that even with this being you know because the the omnicord doesn't fall into the guitar category either right it avoided it Mm -hmm. somehow but it it is similar it's like again it's an instrument that's awkward to hold you could you could see a version of history where that was something along with the guitar that that you know had that the the modern look of the 80s that like this is this is the next step in evolution for that right guitars on on straps yeah right right yeah that it that it looked more like a guitar that you had an instrument that you could pose with yeah exactly guitar i i think um as someone that knows, you know, my this is not my area of expertise. I know a little more about just the history of electric guitars. But even knowing that, you can look at that history and you wonder what was chance, what was arbitrary. I can understand that in the early days of electric guitars, Fenders and Gibsons had a quality advantage over right a lot of other brands at the time that they were they were trying to make something that was playable and distinct looking but even the stratocaster even that super iconic headstock itself is influenced by a an earlier guitar made by bigsby oh wow um yeah it's it's really crazy to see that headstock shape predate the stratocaster huh and but the stratocaster is the one that got famous and you know probably was a better playing guitar a more versatile guitar that being said there's a lot of things that we think about as uh, as far as um tone and playability it's just maybe the music that got written favored mm. that instrument that was created that people had access to. Yeah. You know, the um look looking at the the first electric guitars were slide guitars. True. Right. And yeah, Adolf Rickenbacker invented it for his uh his lap steels. And the the technology sort of eventually evolved into 
Spanish style guitars, guitars that you you play standing up uh, and and you have to fret. Mm. The there, there, but there's so many other variations. Like tenor guitars had a moment, but never caught on. Baritone guitars are having more of a moment now, but right. historically just were blown out of the water by, <laughs> uh, by um, te- technically what I I don't know, just regular guitars. I, I don't yeah, know I if don't like know. they actually have a, have a proper name the way baritone and, and tenor guitars do uh, they might but mm. yeah i i've played mandolas mm. which which are kind of fun and and you play that wondering like is this an alternate universe that <laughs> this could have gone right, down right and this this could have been the instrument that was so yeah famous and ubiquitous and it's hard it's just really hard to separate all of these things that we we associate with these instruments you know what were the actual advantages to them and what is arbitrary what are Mm. things that we just accept because that is the way that we are familiar with these instruments yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i i think things like the omnicord that seem like almost there like that's almost and a uh i don't want to say almost an idea because no it was (laughs) well it's like that's 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 too uh, cruel. It's it just you can see the swing in the right. mess of trying to trying to approximate mm. a new instrument that will add to this this conversational yeah, element. Yeah. I mean, you could argue it's like a prototype OP one. And mm. that's a very I mean, I have one. Right. And, and people are yeah. mean about it. But honest to God, that instrument has existed for 10 years. It's not going anywhere. Like it's in mm-hmm. the canon in in history of musical instruments that i think will be some of the most influential because it is a revolutionary tool um teenage engineering Mm -hmm. sponsor us but no but it's (laughs) but it is like it is genuinely from 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 if you look at those old obscure instruments you get those sounds through this device that's feels like a toy and sounds like a toy but it's actually super complicated and there's a lot of stuff in there that makes it run and you know that I think is what those the omnicord and some of these other instruments, you know, the stylophone, really obscure synthesizers were trying to do back in the eighties and earlier, and it finally got done. I mean, think about Eurorack and and Bukula's easels and all these synthesizers that are still very expensive to put together, but now mm-hmm. you can make solo out synths that, you know can run and they can run well and they're affordable Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. i mean even like a jupiter 6 is going to cost you thousands of dollars to get an original but you can get a clone that sounds pretty close or you can get a Mm -hmm. emulator on the computer that's again very similar it's not the same thing Mm -hmm. but it's similar and that's what's key (laughs) so like i think you know and and that's not necessarily like obscure either i think more of your this omnicore these other things are just like out there but you can see the building blocks that were leading to these other instruments later on and, yeah. I, and i think that's like what you're saying too that it is it is important you know that i i think they're important at least but it's that swing and a miss sometimes or maybe it wasn't as important in other places and something like a guitar and a piano and drums drums i think just being the one that has always been there it's just transformed over time into something different yeah well you you can you can look at a drum and you can be like all right i can see how they figured that one it's pretty straightforward you hit (laughs) hit with stick and it works and hey yeah yeah it's kind of like 
I I have this I have this theory based on nothing that <laughs> if you told someone to draw you an anteater and they had never seen an anteater before, <laughs> I feel like they would get it pretty close on the first try. You should really test that. I feel like we should test this theory because I think <laughs> like you're a, right. Like it's a bo- it's it's a boba and kiki scenario. Oh right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Yes. But yeah, no. I think I think uh, maybe we can start to leave our you know th- the thousands mm-hmm. of instruments here that have been surrounding us, and we'll have to revisit it. I think for sure because I've oh, only yes. touched oh, on yes. a few of these. I I think you know mm-hmm. we've both looked at this as something where we can come back to you know every couple months or whatever and what's the new obscure instrument of the day because we've only touched them <laughs> I, I had to leave some out of my list too i mean there's so uh-huh. many that they might not be obscure to like me or even you Zan, but i think for our audience definitely will be or like just these other you know instruments used throughout history to make some of the most incredible music and very out there music so i mean i could talk mm. for days about the difference in Eurorack to 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 um the other one I can't remember. Oh my gosh! And to Buko's easels and to all these other things mm-hmm. and how we got the R two G two sounds or whatever. I mean, it's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So definitely, we'll have to revisit this in some obscure sound design and obscure sound instruments or instruments. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, thank you for putting this exhibition together. Yeah, Jess. of course. And it's great it's fun. conversation fodder. Oh yes, I mean you. You and I will talk for about gear for days, as I mm-hmm, can imagine. Mm-hmm. But no, it's it was Couple super fun. Gearheads, got <laughs> yes. What was it for Rick and Morty with the gearhead? It's the. Uh... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I come from an entire planet of gear gearhead. people. Oh my god, it's <laughs> just somebody that hangs out on too many uh, subreddits for whatever instrument mm-hmm, is better. Mm-hmm. But it's it's crazy. I mean, it's definitely. It was fun, honestly, looking into this and like putting everything together. And at the same time, you know, seeing those, yeah. the, the similarities throughout history. And- oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely people I know that enjoy music and take a lot of that stuff for granted, like that don't even know what guitar pedals are. Oh, you know, huh? And that's 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 always sometimes I I take a lot of this knowledge for granted that that people sometimes understand yeah. my fascination with it. Mm. Uh, so I I do enjoy getting to talk about it and maybe demystify it a little bit. Same. You know, we're not about to drop, uh, you know, $5,000 to compare uh, a clone centaur to a clone of a clone centaur. You don't want uh, to do that YouTube ma- challenge? Ma- yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to oh my gosh <laughs> blindfold yeah there is there's one uh i forget i think it's anders anderson anderson's the they're like british they they do a lot of guitar gear reviews. oh yeah i think and I they do about. a blindfold test to see if they can tell the difference between an epiphone sg and a gibson sg oh my god how and it? they hand they're like they play the epiphones like plays pretty good plays pretty good and then you they hand one of them the the gibson mm. and he just immediately is like i can smell it <laughs> that's how you know you're really dialed in gearheads oh Absolutely. yeah no give give uh, you know what and i'm so glad he said it because gibsons have a smell to them mm, that's fair yeah. oh my gosh i did i did mm-hmm. hear a video recently the difference of like a telecaster stratocaster and a jazz master from fender mm. and they do sound different and i never really realized oh yeah that. no i mean that's 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, pe- people can t- telling apart uh, uh, the the sounds of a lot of different Gibson guitars is extremely granular, but Fender guitars all sound oh, yeah. so different. I didn't really I know that to be honest, yeah. but I guess I don't. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 incredible stuff. Yeah, no, I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. in it. I'm gonna. Uh gotta get a new guitar eventually man but uh oh yeah no 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 you and me gotta go to uh go to a guitar store and nerd out yes oh so. my gosh absolutely yeah and then one of us will have to play stairway to heaven just for fun mm-hmm. just, just to and be I that get, person yeah get and then get thrown out to join heroin guy <laughs> yeah. oh um, yeah anyway if you have been thrown out of the museum uh you can also uh well you can follow us uh on social media at uncanny museum on twitter and at uncanny county museum on instagram uh what do you have going on on the in the outside world joe uh not too much at the moment i think the exhibition home by art9.org which is online um is still going on so you can check that out my video when light takes form is on there you can also uh check out that same video on the lift off festival i believe they're playing it on vimeo pay-per-view or whatever it's called um Mm -hmm. amongst some other videos so if you pay for that with to watch all of them you know check mine out as well uh but that's pretty much it on my end how about you zan um let's see so for the month of april i've got a painting up at art center east in vernon connecticut uh and april 21st i will be at the brighton bazaar uh at the night market there i'll be selling some wares uh and saying ominous riddles at people uh so you can catch me there and uh yeah, of course, I've got uh, my thesis show coming up at the Tufts Medford Gallery yes, on yes. opening May 20th. Uh, and then I graduate on the 22nd and then watch out Hudson Valley. Oh, man. That's where I'm moving. Woo! Uh, in June, presumably, maybe, if I can find an apartment. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm gonna become a New Yorker. Oh but my gosh! Not a New York City, you know. No, close tr- enough. Yeah, close enough. Same thing. It's not the same thing, mm-hmm. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get yelled at by anybody. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, any if anybody has any recommendations about uh stuff I need to see in Hudson Valley, uh, always appreciate that. Mm. Uh, but we'll always still be coming back to the Uncanny Valley to uh, do our yes, tour here because we love it and mm-hmm. it's fun. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Yes, and next week uh, we've got a uh, pretty exciting yes. uh, <laughs> a screening plan. So definitely come back for that one. Uh, if you want to find me outside the museum, I'm at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm Josemino Art on Instagram. You can also find me uh, at zanpeters.com, uh, my website. I've just threw up some new stuff on there, so definitely go check that yes, out. Yes, yes. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Samino. Bye. Bye.